Welcome to Her Legal Global. I'm your host, Faye Gelb. Our podcast is dedicated to providing you with actionable skills to empower your legal career. Today, we're welcoming Kirsten Lund, who is a conflict resolution and collaboration expert. And today, we're going to be talking about a topic that I think is very impressive and important and one we, what we might not really consider, and that's how our personality impacts our communication. And we're going to see that this isn't a small issue based on the research that Kirsten has done. So just before we dig into that topic, I'm just going to tell you a little bit about Kirsten. She is a lawyer that practiced for two years, but then left the practice of law to focus full-time on mediation and the collaborative process development and has been doing so for the past 24 years. So Kirsten, we're amazed and wowed by your experience. I also wanted to mention that you are one of the founding developing trainers at the UPEI Center for Conflict Resolution Studies, where you, in fact, were the one that designed and implemented the assessment process for that amazingly 210-hour certificate program. So you've been a principal trainer there, I understand, since 1998. That is right. Trained thousands of people how to, how to mediate or just even use the mediation skills you know, within the workplace. Let's just get a little bit about you. I've introduced you. I've talked a little bit about your background, but let's really get to know you a bit more. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey? What energized you? Any surprises and basically how you ended up here today? Did you not like the practice of law? Like what was going on there? Yeah, sure. Well, I decided when I was 11 that I was going to be a lawyer and I didn't really stray from that until I until until after I graduated from law school. So my whole plan from grade six right until I finished law school was really, I was going to be a lawyer. And I had this image of myself, you know, I imagined sort of doing criminal law and, and doing a lot of court work. And, and mainly, I think it was because when I was a kid, kids have limited ideas of what's a, what's a possibility in terms right, of how right. you make your living, right? So my father was a doctor and so I don't like to do the same thing. I, I like to be different. So I'm like, okay, well, what's another job where I can make a lot of money? Okay, I'll be a lawyer. So I really didn't have any idea, you know, why I wanted to be a lawyer, but that was my plan. And I always follow through on my plan. So I did go to law school and I, even in law school, I think I felt, I felt a little weird. You know, I felt like I had lots of friends and I, I enjoyed a lot of the social aspect, but in terms of um, learning about the law itself. That wasn't really something that I enjoyed very much. I loved it in high school, took law classes in high school, loved it. But in law school, I don't know, something changed for me. And I still went ahead and, and article and got called to the bar and, and practiced for about a year. But then uh, I realized, you know, there's something, there's something else for me out there. Something else that could energize you, maybe take some of your other skills. So where did you end up? So part of the bar admission process for PEI lawyers, Prince Edward Island lawyers, is that um, back in the day, we would go to Nova Scotia for a skills component of our bar admission course. And one of the skills that we focused on was interest-based negotiation. And that was my first exposure to it. I'd never even heard of it. Apparently, we had an ADR course when I was at Queen's, but I don't even remember seeing it on the, on the, the list. Schedule. But, and so it wasn't a big thing then, right? This, I graduated in 92. And I don't know, it just, it really spoke to me. I, I thought it was fascinating. I had always thought about negotiation as that sort of hard nose, like win-lose kind of thing, you know, when I was thinking about lawyers negotiating. 
and exactly. to learn, yeah, to learn a different, like to learn the win-win way was fascinating to me. And I went on from there to take some training in mediation. And yeah, and, and so after about a year of practicing, I, I remember actually coming back from that training I took, which was also in Halifax for some mediators there. I remember coming back, walking back from lunch with one of the partners in my firm and saying, you know, if I could do anything, I would focus on mediation and family violence prevention. And, you know, within months, I was gone and had opened a mediation. The first, what was considered at the time, the first full-time mediation firm in, in Prince Edward Island. However, I never do anything. I never do just one thing. So I did a lot of work in the area of family violence prevention as well. So you took all of this information and I understand that you've also done some research. So just moving into how our personality can impact communication. I understand you've done research that specifically relates to lawyers and their personality. So can you tell me a bit about what that research was and, and what you came to understand about us? Sure. And, and I want to qualify the word research because I am not an academic and this was not academic research. This really was an opportunity someone else had asked me to be on their podcast and talk about how does personality type connect with lawyers. And so the research that I did was looking to see what other research was out there and then looking through my own assessments. So I'm a Myers-Briggs certified assessor. I've assessed about 40 lawyers in the past few years. So just looking through my own files and doing my own tabulations. And it's very interesting because it really does line up with what I've read outside, you know, in the world. And I, and I think there's, there's various studies on what are the types that connect to lawyers. But So don't keep uh, us in suspense. Tell us what these okay. amazing uh, findings were. Sure. So Myers-Briggs, I, I don't know, is it helpful if I share a little bit about what, what Myers-Briggs is? Or Absolutely, you because yeah. I myself find it a little confusing to keep straight the different uh, four categories. So if you could just go sure. through those. Yeah, for sure. So Myers-Briggs is a personality type indicator. So it's not about intelligence or anything like that. It's really about preferences around what gives us energy, how we make decisions, how we interact in the world, that kind of thing. And so there's four dichotomies, as, you, as you've just mentioned. So the first one most people know about, the E and the I, the extrovert, introvert. And, you know, there's differences there, right? So an extrovert gets energy from being around other people. They typically process out loud. They, they talk things out and that's how they process and, and think things through. Um, where introverts uh, process internally before they put it out to the world. And it typically takes energy for introverts to be around a lot of people. There's lots of other differences too. And it's not that introverts are shy. It's got nothing to do with that. It's more about what gives us energy. The next one is sensing or intuitive, which is the S or the N. Uh, sensors really like data, research, how have we done it before? What do we know from the past? Sort of present realities. Whereas the intuitives or the ends, they're more about future possibilities, more big picture kind of stuff, more about patterns than about facts and figures. Um, That's me. <laughs> yeah, you're that you're an intuitive. Well, then Definitely. there's no, um, there's it's not a surprise that you're doing the the work that you're doing right now, because <laughs> intuitives are usually looking for like what's the next best thing or what's the what's the sort of big idea that's going to give me energy, right? So it helps explain why you get the energy, why you do around certain things. So that's really helpful, actually. The next one is the T and the F, the thinker or feeler. So thinkers are very analytical. They are very objective. Their definition of fair might be like giving everybody the same thing, right? Like dividing the pie 
equally, equally. Um, where Fs, the feelers, they're, they're more subjective. They're looking at the people that are involved, very focused on relationships, and their definition of fairness wouldn't be divided equally. They'd look to see what are the needs that individuals have and how do they differ and how do we sort of get people on equal playing fields as opposed to give them the exact same piece of pie, I guess. And, you know, P's, when they're given a problem to solve, they're looking more at what's the most logical way to solve this, where F's are looking more at how does this impact people in relationships. And then the final one is the, the J and the P, or the judging or perceiving. Judging and uh, J's are very, uh, they like their lists, they like to plan, they like to know what's coming up. P's are more spontaneous. P's are more likely to sort of hold off on decision making until they, you know, because they want to sort of pivot when new information comes and would typically get kind of stressed out about the types of planning and boxes that J's would like to put everything in. <laughs> so what did you find out about lawyers? Where did they fit? So again, there's, num- there's maybe a number of different research projects that, that have happened over the years, but the one that I landed on um, and that really coincides with the lawyers that I have assessed, most lawyers do, there is a type that most lawyers tend to fall into. I think the introvert, extrovert, it's, you know, I've seen some people say more lawyers are introverts, but I've also seen some where it's 50-50. So it's kind of negligible, the, the introvert, extrovert. The last three letters are really where more of the, the typical type might come from. And the typical type would be STJ, so ISTJ or ESTJ, so sensing, thinking, judging. So what I have found, one, one particular research report had indicated that the percentage of lawyers who are STJs is 28%. So that's a pretty significant, like when you're talking about like two types out of 16, 28% of lawyers tend to fall into that category. This is like North American based, I guess. When you look at just the last two letters, the TJ, so forget about right. the S and the N, it's 50%. 50% of, of lawyers fall into the TJ, and T, which makes a lot of sense when we think about sort of traditional kind of practices of law where, remember, the T's are, they like their lists, they like their planning, they like to, you know, cross things off, they like to check boxes, and the J's like to get stuff out the door, and they meet deadlines, and it's like, out it goes, Right. So, so PJs are like about getting it done. Was there yeah. any difference across gender or? When I looked at my own, when I looked at my own, so there was, so I've assessed 40 lawyers. I know that's not a very huge sample size, but when I assessed my own, there was some gender stuff that came out there. The stats show that most men are T's, thinkers, and most women are F's, which, you know, kind of, I've never read that men are from Mars, women are from Venus, but it, it connects to that sort of theory, right? Of the analytical man and the, and the feeling or emotional woman and like all the stereotypes that sort of play into that. There is a little bit of basis there, but it's not, you know, all women are F's and all men are T's. It's about, you know, I'd say like 65% say of men would be T's and the same percent of women would be F's. So if you're a woman who's a T, you might be in the minority where if, if you're a man who's an F, you, you might be in the minority for your gender. In the lawyers that I have assessed, so of the 40 that I assessed, 14 were men and the rest were women. Uh, the majority were, so 62% were T's, men and women. Of the F's, of the 15 F's that, that I have assessed, 86% or 13 were women. 
So that's not surprising to me. In terms of the other letters, I'm not sure if gender necessarily plays a big role in terms of introvert, extrovert, or sensing and intuitive, or the J and the P, but the T and the F, definitely. How did you use this type of research in your own work? Did it affect the way that you went about teaching, or how did that play into everything? It definitely plays into how I teach. I'm, I'm an ENTJ, so an extroverted, intuitive thinking, judging. (laughs) And so, you know, especially the introvert, extrovert, for instance, where as an extrovert, I, you know, and teaching mediation, for instance, one of the steps in the process that I teach is brainstorming, right? And so as an extrovert, you know, you're all over that brainstorming, let's just do that thing and like, you know, throw out the ideas. But that's a very extroverted thing, right? So one of the things that I do now, whether it's for teaching or if it's actually doing a mediation, is I will provide some opportunity for people to have some reflection time. Because the thing is, yes, it's, it's something that I think that for most introverts, that reflection time is required for them to bring their most prepared and best self to the conversation. But us, us extroverts can use a little um, reflection as well. Right. Um, so that's, that's one way I've used it in the work that I do. My understanding is that you can be not one or the other, like you can be a combination. So you can be somewhere in between, not completely introverted, for example, like you might have some more aspects of being extroverted, but then not. Is that your understanding or is it more or less one or the other? So the theory is that we have a preference and it's one or the other. But the fuss, the thing is that even though we might have a preference, and again, the theory is that doesn't change over time. What does change, though, is our behavior. It, um, what changes is our ability to use the opposite. So, for instance, as a, as a T, so as a thinker, my preference typically in problem solving would be the most you know, objective way of solving this problem. But as a mediator, as someone with 25 years of, of doing work in this area, I, I move through the world like an F, you know, like I can out F a lot of F, <laughs> right? <laughs> just because of my behavior. But right. for an F, that's just how they're wired. That's just, you know, to, to look at who's impacted, how are they impacted? What are the needs that they have? That's just maybe intuitive for an F. And it just makes sense for a T. I've made sense of it by learning and bearing witness to the fact that if you don't have good relationships, you're not going to have good solutions. And so it's a logical thing for me to focus on the needs of of individuals in a problem, whereas for an F, it wouldn't be about logic. It would just be about, well, of course we do that, right? Right. So you can, and, and, you know, there's a, there's a step two, like a sort of a deeper level Myers-Briggs that you can take. And my step two is all of my behaviors are on the F side, um, but I'm still a T. Right. So when we talk about knowing this about ourselves and then going into the, the workplace as a lawyer and potentially having an opposite person on the other side, what can we do about that? Like, how does that impact us? Is there anything that we can take to that situation that will help us, you know, navigate it better, communicate better? What can we do? I think one of the things that, you know, can be really helpful for people, first of all, if you know yourself, most people don't really know themselves. They, and I think there's, there's a lot of lawyers and probably people in other professions where maybe there are some typical personality types that are drawn to that, like police officers or, or accountants or whatever. They probably all have their own sort of preferred behaviors that get rewarded, right? I think if you understand yourself, 
that's the first step. Because I do think, you know, if, if you aren't an STJ, you, you might feel like I'm not cut out for this, or I don't fit in here, or I'm not as good at that as so-and-so is, or, you know, that's a weakness for me or whatever. And so I think that can play on people's self-esteem and their satisfaction with their work. So that's the first step is to really understand yourself. Why would you feel that way if you were like, for example, I am probably, well, I know I'm introverted, intuitive, feeling and perceiving type of person. So it doesn't seem like law is such a good fit for me. <laughs> what would you suggest for somebody like, like me going into the profession? Like, how would I cope? Well, I think one of the things that, first of all, like I said, understanding yourself and what your preferences are, what your needs are, and then asking for those needs to be met. Now, I know that there's clearly some firms or some some places you might work where you can't ask for what your needs are, right? You know, so that that makes it challenging. But when you do know what they are, I think you can I think you can have a conversation with someone and say, I've learned X, Y, Z about myself in terms of what I need in order to bring my best self to the work. And I really want to do a good job for the firm. I want to do the best job I can for my clients. And so, you know, I've learned about myself that this is the kind of communication I need to have, or this is how I need to do my work, or this is the information I need in order to produce the best work. So it becomes a negotiation. Difficult to have that negotiation if you don't understand yourself. Difficult to have the negotiation if you also don't believe that you are worthy of getting your needs met. But that's a whole other, that's that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> exactly. So a person like myself who was in that type of situation, what do you think my needs would be versus somebody that is traditionally in the role of a lawyer? So, you know, I, I'm introverted and I have this different way of perceiving things. So how would I go recognizing that about myself? What, what would I need to do to help me even before I have that conversation? To help you in, in terms of deciding what work you might want to be doing or but what I what works and then going before I can ask I have to know what I need so for example do I need more time to energize do I need that time away like I was a litigator so I was obviously in court and in dealing with lots of different people I'm just thinking that thinking this through if I had known this about myself going into that position I would have been able to say you know my needs are that I'm going to need to recharge I'm not going yeah. to be around people all the time and have the same energy level as an extrovert. So that's just an example. Yeah, yeah exactly. So if you were a litigator, you can still be the best litigator, you know, like the top skills. But yeah, like you say, you'll want to build in some time. So maybe maybe you're not going to um, want to spend the break with your clients and your articling students and you know, the other lawyers that are sitting at the table from your firm or whatever, you're going to be like, you know what, I need to go. I'm going to carve out a half an hour just to go sit in a room somewhere and chill by myself. You know, I can see that being really crucial to communication, because especially when there's a pressure, I was talking to one articling student who was told, you know, you show up for this particular meeting. And that's what you do, you know, when they have a talk or whatever. But I can see if you are the type of person that can't be around people all the time, how this will deplete you dramatically. So my understanding is that you do have a tool that we can use to do an assessment on themselves, a, a brief one, so that they can get some idea where they fall in, in this regard. So I'm actually creating that just for you and Wonderful. just for your just for your listeners. And I'm creating it from something that I use with my clients. So 
when you do your 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 um, official Myers-Briggs assessment, you go online and you, and um, you have a special link and you answer these questions. But before I meet with people to help them really figure out what's my best fit type, I get them to do a self-assessment. And so I'm going to create a, a document for your listeners that they can go through it. And it's not going to be an official, you know, here's what your what your type is, but it'll give people, you know, a basic sense of where they might where they might fall. And then they can use that to begin to look at it in a more deeper way to decide as that type of person, how they can interact. I just have one question. You know, if you were in a, a room and you happen to be the kind of person I am versus the traditional kind, and there was a couple of those two traditional kinds in there, what could you expect to be happening in that room? If there's two people that are, say, ESTJs and you are there as an INFP, Yes. You're probably going to be, you're probably going to feel, maybe you're going to feel awkward. Maybe you're going to feel like, you know, it sort of depends on where you are in your career and how well you've navigated this STJ kind of um, environment, right? But if you're someone who is new to the profession, you might feel like you're kind of, yeah, weird or, or is this really for you? You'll probably be able to adapt and do what you need to do. But you know, at the end of the day or at the end of that meeting, you're probably going to be exhausted in a way the ESTJs are not. Right. Um, so that's really good you know? to know. Yeah. And you do give us hope because you were saying that you've adapted and you've gone on to be out able to out feel the feelers type of thing. So it's, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, we well, have some hope that, that we can adapt. <laughs> Um, I think I, I definitely, um, you know, one of the things that I have learned that's quite fascinating to me over the hundreds of people that I've assessed is, I think that feelers, so you've heard of an empath, right, and perhaps you are one. And what I've come to understand is, it's, it's actually the rare F that's not an empath. And so when I talk about empath, I mean, someone who can actually feel in their own body, someone else's emotions. That is something a T will never be able to do. If that is something that you can do, you're an F. <laughs> you are an F. Um, okay. So even though I might be able to act like an F and even be, you know, have the same sort of level of empathy or compassion and the high level of skills to, to really focus on people and relationships and make that the priority, I'll never be able to out F and F in terms of really, you know, like I've, I have colleagues who I've worked with who one of the places I teach and facilitate is at a ropes course where people are climbing 25 feet in the air and they're on a belay system and they're walking across this rope, this wire. You know, I remember one person, just this one woman putting one foot in front of the other because you had to go from one tree to the next. It was, that was the challenge. Big smile on her face, putting one foot in front of the other. And I'm on the ground going, you're doing great. And my two F colleagues, my two co-facilitators, one of them just sort of steps out in the middle of the, of the ropes course and looks up at the woman and she's like, okay, I want, you to, I want you to look at me and I want you to breathe, you know, count of five, breathe through your nose, count of six, breathe it out. And I was like, what's going on? <laughs> From 25 feet away, she could tell that this woman was having a panic attack, but she had a mask on, you know, just oh. put, plastered this smile on her face. So, so that's something I will never be able to do. And it's definitely, I'm sure it's a gift and a curse <laughs> at times, I'm sure. So that's um, it. That's but, definitely very enlightening. I want to thank you very much for this talk. It's been very enlightening. Pleasure. I refer everybody to 
your website, thecollaborationschool.com, and also anybody listening can follow you on LinkedIn for more of your expertise. And I want to thank you again. It's been very informative and very useful. Her Legal Global, empowering and transforming us through skills and shared wisdom. For other great episodes, follow us and be sure to check out herlegalglobal.com for a community, informative skills-based articles, and to work with me, your host, Faye Gelb.